This is Leaving Laodicea, the online podcast of Steve McCraney. I'm glad you're here. Stay tuned, because we've got some exciting things in store for you. Hang tight. You can't handle the truth. For a long time now, we've been going through what it talks about life in the kingdom, looking at the Sermon on the Mount. Again, we began this, I don't know, last August or September. And uh, as we hit a certain point in this teaching, we have a tendency of, or the Lord has a tendency of just having us camp out there for a little while. We camped out for maybe four months just on what the Holy Spirit is, who he is, what the spiritual gifts are. But the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is for Jesus to, re- to let us know what life in his kingdom is all about in real time. We've looked at the Beatitudes. We looked at how great his word is. We, we talked about your righteousness being greater than the scribes and Pharisees. And if it's, you know, it doesn't exceed theirs, that you'll have no place in the kingdom of heaven. And then it moves into this next section, which talks about our personal responses to the word of God. And it talks, the first one talks about anger and hatred and murder, but more importantly, how that impacts true worship. Not just sometimes what we go through on a Sunday, which is almost like in many churches, it's almost like going to a conference with music. It's a little more prayers than you get at a CPA conference where you're learning about convertible debenture bonds. You know, you sit there and you're taking in some information and you're taking notes and you're nodding your head and you're thinking, this stuff I'm getting right now is going to help me in my real life. But we add a little music to it and maybe some prayers to it. And, and a lot of times our worship in church really digresses to something like that. We first looked at Matthew 5, 21 through 26. And these are the verses we looked at the last two weeks. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, which is like an empty-headed, stupid person, shall be in danger of the council, and whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. We went through that almost academically. And then we have what's based upon that, the conclusion, therefore, based on what we've just looked at, if you bring your gift to the altar, if I'm getting ready to worship God, and there remember that not me, I don't have anything against this person, but somebody has something against me. And remember that your brother has something against you. I'm not to just forge on ahead and continue worshiping and pretend like my horizontal relationship doesn't affect my vertical relationship, but I'm to leave my gift at the altar and go my way. And do what? Let's go back home. Am I not allowed to come back? And no, it gives us instructions. First, be reconciled to your brother. And then after you've been reconciled, come and offer your gift. And it talked about true worship. We we talked about true worship last week and the week before of what it meant to 
to truly love the Lord, to truly, truly love him in such a way that it wells up inside of you something that, that you've never experienced before. You know, Jesus talked to the woman at the well talking about the time will come when the true worshipers of God, as contrast to just rote worshipers of God, will worship the Lord in spirit and truth, for the Lord must be worshipped that way, and he's seeking for people actively among us who will worship him his way in spirit and in truth. Tuesday night, we took it another step, and we talked about what happens when God calls you, what happens when God calls you to yourself. We, in our culture today, when God calls you to be a Christian, we think he just has this big goodie bag that he wants to lay upon us. He wants to give us prosperity. He wants to give us wealth. He wants to give us good times. He's going to clear up our acne. He's going to increase our checking account. We're going to claim promises from heaven and bind God's sovereign hand with our words so we can get stuff. I mean, that's the narcissistic church world in which we live. But none of that is true. I uh, quoted to you the quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from Cost of Discipleship, page 93, where he simply says, summing up the teaching of Jesus on Tuesday night, that when God calls a man to himself, he bids him come and die. And we talked about over and over again in the scriptures that when Jesus called people to himself, he didn't call them to himself to make their life better. He called them to himself so they can die. He who does not deny himself, he who does not take up his cross, he who does not love me more than cannot be my disciple. We don't talk about that because pain is is painful and it's kind of final. And we have been we've grown up in this this freedom where nobody has any rule over us that we we allegedly vote and determine who our president's going to be and. Congress and we're masters of our own fate. And if I don't like this job, I'll quit and go get this job. I'm not bound like an indentured servant to serve some king. And so therefore we have the same attitude towards Christ. I can do what I want when I want. And I'm not going to come and die. I don't mind aligning myself with him as long as there's a payoff. I give, he gives. And as long as what I'm giving equals what I get back, then I'm willing to continue in this journey. But as soon as it doesn't, and it costs me more and doesn't seem worth it, then I'm just going to chuck it out the window and head a different way, like many people even do marriages today. But he calls us to die. Worship is dying to yourself. Anybody want to praise the Lord? I feel uncomfortable with that. Oh, you feel, you feel uncomfortable with doing something God commands us to do. So there's a part of you that hasn't died to you. He calls us to make disciples of all the world. Well, I feel uncomfortable, ill-equipped. I feel kind of nervous when I'm sharing my faith with somebody else. Oh, so it's you. It's all about you. I didn't like that sermon. I didn't like this preacher. I didn't like that book. It was too long, too short, too loud. Oh, it's about us. It's always about, it's an area of our life that we refuse to die to. And when Christ comes, he bids a man to come and die. As we talked about Tuesday, to die to our wants, our needs, our reputation, our future, our desire. Hey, Johnny, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be a fireman or a policeman or a, a doctor or a lawyer or, or whatever. Oh, that's great, Johnny, because you can be anything you want to be. Nobody ever says, Johnny, what does Christ want you to be? I don't know. I never asked him. 
Well, what if Christ wants you to be something that you don't want to be? What do we choose? Well, we choose us. We always choose us. It's in our DNA. It's who we are. It's all we've learned. And it affects our worship in a profound way. Today, as we continue talking about worship, I want to share something with you that uh, God made a huge impact in my life with this week. And it has to do with one of the prerequisites to really worship him. And that's the ability to remember, just to look back and to remember. Remember who you were. Remember what you were. Remember who he is. Remember what he's done for you. And look at these these mild posts, these symbols of his grace and his mercy and his love and his forgiveness all through your life. And if you can go back and remember him, then it makes it really easy to have faith to look at your situation today and tomorrow and trust the same God who is faithful yesterday and today and forever. True? To be able to remember. I was studying this, and this happens to me a lot. And I'm in there, and I'm going through this word by word, and I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to get the, the not only the the micro view of what's being said, but to back off and look at the macro view of exactly how this fits into the Christ teaching. And and all of a sudden, I got stymied. Right there. Right there. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, talked about that last week, and remember. It's like the Lord said, just stop. Stop right here. Just stop. Steve, what do you remember? Not as much as I used to. I have a limited amount of RAM, it seems, and limited amount of memory. And, and as you get older, more stuff comes in and you can't hold on to it. So we kind of chuck the stuff that's not important to us. I know, but, but what do you remember? Well, I don't remember, like, I don't remember Karen will say something. Do you remember when we did this? No, I really don't. Then she'll hand me a picture. Oh, I remember that now. And it's sometimes when you're remembering, it's almost like you're reliving the whole situation. You start thinking about what the situation was like before and then what happened that you really remembered to remembered, And then the consequences are the result of that as you follow on and, and what change it made in your life or what didn't change it didn't what change it didn't make in your life. But, but what do you remember? And so I, I simply did a. A word search in the scripture for the word remember. It's like 61 times we find it is incredible amount of instances of remembering in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, they're even more profound. And we're not going through all of those today. I just want to show you just a couple to let you see that God puts a, a high premium on the ability to remember who he is, what he's like, what he's done for you, and what he's told you to do. Once we remember those things, it, like, it likes to put, put everything in perspective. You know, I really don't know what to do right now, and I'm kind of lost out here in the woods, and, and I'm struggling, and I feel all alone. And if somebody comes up and says, don't you remember when your father told you to do this, this, and this when you get in this situation? Yes. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Now, now, now I know exactly what to do. Once all of a sudden we're reminded of a truth that many of us have probably already forgotten. I'm just going to pull a couple of these, and I just want to show you I want to show you this premium God puts on the ability to remember. And this is, these are just in the five um, books of Moses. 
And again, there's a lot more than these. Some of them just repeat themselves, but one of the first profound ones we find in Genesis. And in this particular one, it is God who does the remembering. All of a sudden, he judges the earth because of this, and he decides to put a rainbow in the sky. And what is the rainbow in the sky for? Well, the rainbow in the sky is a sign to me that God will remember not to do something again, which he's already done. When I see the rainbow in the sky, I will remember the covenant I made between me, God says, and you and every living creature of all flesh that I created. And so even when it comes to remembering, one of the first big instances is the fact that God's going to remember. Not that he has to remember, because God never forgets anything, but it's like a, it's like a picture showing us what it means to remember these things. Your sin is so great, and I feel like just stomping you out again. I can't believe I've given you another chance. And then I see this beautiful rainbow that our culture has perverted and made something evil out of. And I say, I remember now, and I made a promise to you. I made a unilateral promise to you, not based on your faithfulness, but on my faithfulness as God, that I will no longer destroy the earth with water like I did before. This is God remembering. And what am I supposed to remember? In Exodus, I think it's amazing in the Ten Commandments, you have the thou shalt and the thou shalt not until you get to this one. Thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Thou shalt do this. Thou shalt do that. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder. But then we get to this one. It's remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Well, why? Well, because there's a whole purpose of the Sabbath. And we find that in the book of Genesis and following. And the fact is that it is God's completion and rest and work. And it's so easy for you to forget what that day is all about. I can give you a command, thou shalt keep the Sabbath, and, and he does. But I want you to remember the Sabbath and the purpose of the Sabbath. Something that I've taught you over and over and over again through Scripture. Just remember that. That's something we're supposed to remember. God again, Leviticus. But for their sake, for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, for the sake of the covenant I gave to them, I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of all the nations, that I might be their God, for I am the Lord. Because of their sake, not your sake, because of their sake, I'm going to remember the covenant I made with people that have long since passed, because I am faithful. And if I remember, then you need to remember my faithfulness. Numbers. This is something that we remember, but sometimes we remember wrongly. If you remember, they came up to Moses and they wanted to kill them and complain. And they said, you know, you brought us out here and God's providing for us, but it's not the way we want it to be provided for because all there is is this bread, this, this manna, and we're getting tired of that because we remember how great we had it in the world. We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. And sometimes you have a tendency of remembering the old life. Oh, yeah, there's so many rules and there's, you know, my soul's kind of dried up because I haven't spent an intimate time with the Lord. And, and therefore, all my friends are out partying and they're drinking and they're sleeping around and, and they can watch movies I can't watch. And they just seem to be laughing and having a good time on their way to hell. And I remember when I was like then and, and I remember how much fun it was. So I'm going to go back to the old world to satisfy my lust for a while. And it always ends up bad, doesn't it? 
always ends up bad. And if you're a believer in Christ, that's happened to you. You've gone back at some point in time. I have. Sometimes God gives us reminders to remember him by. And you shall have the tassel, this little tassel, this little piece of cloth with a blue thread through it, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and to do them. That you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined, and that you may remember to do all my commandments and be holy to your God. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a, I will wait purity ring. We give those to our daughters and we have this ceremony and we place this ring on her finger and she makes a commitment before Lord that she's going to remain pure. Our son makes a commitment that he's going to remain pure and he wears this ring and he only takes that ring off to replace it with his wedding ring on his wedding day. And the idea is the fact is every time he looks at that ring or she looks at that ring, she remembers the commitment she made. She remembers the, the, what the Lord said and she, it helps them, helps us not sin anymore. We take verses and we stick them on our mirrors in our, in our bathrooms or we have them on the dashboard of our car or, or we pull up certain verses on our, on our phones to help us remember that we've hidden God's word in our heart. So we'll remember that word and not sin against him. And then when we get to Deuteronomy, it seems like Deuteronomy is just chock full of these things. Remember, 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 remember. Let me just give you a couple of these. And remember who you were, that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. You were a slave. You were lost. You had no freedom. You cried out for me for help. And I, the Lord your God, brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Do you remember? Do you remember the plagues? Do you remember the light and darkness? Do you remember how I separated you in Goshen to show you that you had my favor? Do you remember how when you left, you plundered Egypt and I parted the Red Sea and gave you a land that you didn't have to earn? Do you remember all of that? Whenever we're faced with situations, this is the God that we serve. Or when all of a sudden we're afraid, oh, God, what's going to happen? And I'm also frightened of this. And here's what God says. You shall not be afraid of them or of anything, but you shall remember what the Lord your God did to the mighty greatest power on earth at that time. He obliterated them for a group of sinful, carnal, whining people just like us. Do you remember? I know, but, but my, my boss thinks he's going to, you know, cut my hour, my, my hours. And I don't know what I'm, but wait a second. Don't you know that you serve a mighty God? Remember me. And you shall remember the Lord, that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. But it seemed like we were just wondering. It seemed like a dark time. We never accomplished anything. Exactly. Because I have a purpose for this, to humble and test you, to know that it, what was in your heart, whether you would, you would keep his commandments or not, even during the dark times. Remember, I am sovereign and I am in control. Continue in Deuteronomy. Remember, do not forget how you provoke the Lord to your God to wrath in the wilderness. Remember how you spit in his face. Remember how you spurned his grace and his mercy and his love. Remember the vows and commitments you made to him and you broke every single one and yet he didn't fry you. 
He didn't kill you. He bore with you. Remember. Remember what the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. Do you remember what happened to her? Do you remember what she did? Do you remember what she said? Remember God can do anything. And this. Remember the days of old. Remember what it was like. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you, your elders, and they will tell you how faithful God has been even before you were born. One of the things that I'm really, really pains me is the fact that in our nation, the, um, the nuclear family has pretty much been destroyed. I mean, uh, I was looking at some statistics this week and the average family moves every three and a half years usually to follow a job, climb that corporate ladder. And, and there's no community anymore where you've got, you know, grandparents or maybe great-grandparents and grandparents and then the, the father and then maybe their children. So you've got just within a, just a short area of time, you've got generations worth of wisdom that you can sit and talk to your father or talk to your grandfather about what it was like when he faced the same trials that you and I are facing. Because everybody's split up, and all we can do is send emails or talk on the phone or try to have a relationship by Facebook, and it really doesn't work, does it? To be able to to ask your father or the elders of your church or the elders in your community, ask them what it was like. I remember the first time this ever happened to me is when I was pastoring in LaGrange, Georgia, right across the street from us, and this was 25 years ago. Right across the street from us was a lady, oldest lady that had gone to our church, and she was almost 90, and she was born like in 1895 or something of that nature back then. And I went over to see her. She was, she was housebound. She was still very, very sharp. And so I asked her, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, um, I had gone through this, the church history, and, and this was just an old mill church in the Mill Valley, and the, the community had really turned like gang infested. I mean, it was, it was a pretty nasty place. And, but the church had its greatest heyday back there in the depression. And there was like, you know, 1200 people that would come for a worship service and a building that really wasn't that much bigger than this. And, uh, so when I asked her, I said, you know, you were just a young, young teenager at the breakout of World War One, and you were a young married woman with kids during the Great Depression. You know, what was it like? I mean, what was it like during that time? What was the best time in your life knowing that you were born like in 1895? And, you know, I'm talking to her 90 years later. What was the, what was the best time in your life and the worst time? And she said, the worst time is now because the love of everybody has grown cold and nobody cares about anybody anymore. And it's just a rough time. But the best time was during the depression. What? What, the soup lines and, and, you know, all the gangsters and, you know, prohibition and all that, the, the, the Great Depression? Why? Well, because we always had enough to survive and everybody shared. Everybody bonded together, kind of like it was the first three months after 9-11. You remember? After 9-11, everybody put everything aside because it was all about America. We've really come a long way from them, from then, haven't we? I mean, it's... It's amazing. Just, she's gone. She has a, a lifetime of memory and nobody bothered to ask her. And I did, but I mean, it's, it's just, it's gone. We don't even have this anymore in our society, which, which is a shame. New Testament. Sometimes people ask the Lord to remember them on the cross. Lord, remember me. Would you remember me? 
when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus told us, not only for us to remember, for him to remember us, but for us to remember him. First Corinthians, during the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. I want you to remember me, my sacrifice, what I did for you as you break the bread and as you pour the wine. And then we have the verse for us, letter to the church at Ephesus. Scary one here. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, how you used to be something. You used to be hot. You used to be on fire. You used to be all about me. But, but now that you're not, now that you've forgotten about me and you've forgotten about the things that were important to you, that you're remembering things that don't matter and forgetting the things that do. And repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. When we come to worship, one of the elements of worship, to worship God in a way that is pleasing to him is to remember who he is and remember what he has done for you. I know in my own life that uh, when things get bad for me when I'm struggling in the darkness, it seems like I forget the things that I have no problem remembering in the light. When my relationship with Christ is wonderful and things are going great and everybody's my friend and everybody loves me and they buy you meals at restaurants and you know you find $100 bills on the ground and whoa, it's just great. I can remember how good and glorious and gracious God is. And look, I had a need and you met it. You've always met my needs. You're marvelous, God. And then you have that dark night of the soul. And then you have that time where you're like Peter and you step out into the water and walk to Jesus and forget about Jesus and start thinking about the water and begin to sink. And then all the things that you knew about God, that you trusted about God, that, that, that prompted you to worship him, we forget. We forget who he is in the darkness, the things we easily remember in the light. We forget about God's character. We forget about his goodness. We forget about what he has done for us. And we forget to remember him daily. We, we forget how God has always shown himself faithful to us, even when we haven't to him. Do you remember any of that? Remember how that happens? Well, I want you to go home today, and I want you to find some place by yourself and I want you to commit to spend some time with the Lord. And I want you to just ask him, Lord, will you bring to my memory who you are and what you've done for me? And just let me remember my journey with you. And he will. And when he does, these things that you haven't forgotten in a long time, and all of a sudden it's going gonna, it's gonna to well up inside of you just a desire to praise him. My God, I forgot about that. Yeah, I remember when that happened. I, I thought it was over. I thought it was done. And, and you, you always work that out. It's, yeah, I forgot, Lord. Thank you for bringing that to my memory. You're so good. And wow. And you're going to find yourself just beginning, maybe just beginning to, to find something inside of you welling up in worship, just privately, just, just alone, thinking about how good and glorious and gracious he is. And since I'm behind the pulpit today, I want to share with you some of the things that he has allowed me to remember. Some of these things I've shared with you, but some I haven't, that um, I want to share with you my story. Not, not all of it, just a, a little bit of it to let you know 
what God has done in my heart this week is maybe an encouragement for you. I have um, always been to church my entire life. If you've read the first book I wrote, my father was anything other than a godly man. And he would always downgrade the pastor or anybody else. His philosophy in life is whoever was in authority, if I can tear them down, somehow it makes me feel better. And, and so any man um, that I respected or looked up to in a church setting, and it was usually when I was young, the guys that would, you know, coach our basketball team at the church or athletic kind of guys and stuff of that nature or really profound Bible teachers. And, and he would always trash them. And on, every Sunday on the way home, my dad would always tell me everything he disagreed with the pastor on the car while my brother and I were kind of strapped in, didn't really, nothing really, really could do about it. And, but when I got 12 years old, something began to stir in my heart. And I wanted to know if this stuff was real. And so not knowing anything about Bible study, I decided that the best, the closest way to come to the Lord was to get the biggest Bible I could and read it. And so I stole the pulpit Bible in front of our church, you know, a huge one, you know, about this big. And I brought it home with me and uh, sit out by the pool in Florida and would try to read it and all the gold letters and everything. It didn't go over real well. Um, I had to return it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I just, I searched and I began looking at other believers, and I realized that I'm better than these guys are. And I'm lost as I can. Do you not know any more than I do? I mean, are you just as carnal as I am? And Because I'm just putting a hypocrite face on. And, you know, when we had Youth Sunday, I would preach the, the youth sermon and all that kind of stuff. And I knew um, I knew that, uh, that God had a call on my life. I just didn't know him. And so I graduated from college after struggling with a pretty severe drug problem and Graduated from college and decided the best place to find God was seminary because that's where godly people go to learn about God. And so I went to the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. They figured out that I wasn't saved because they made me actually fly up there and have an interview with them. I don't think they ever do that to anybody. But uh, they went ahead and let me in. I guess it was just my gift of persuasion. And so I went up there taking these classes in hermeneutics and New and Old Testament theology and stuff of that, and I just lost as I could be. I uh, had two separate lives. I had the life that I lived on seminary, and then I had the life that I lived in the rest of the world. And I, I worked at a grocery store, Kroger's, and I had all my friends that we would get high with and drink and all that kind of stuff. And neither the people I hung around with in the student dorm at seminary or my other friends ever knew about the other groups, and I remember we were going to a University of Louisville basketball game. We're just just plastered in this car. We're driving by the seminary, and the guy driving goes, hey, man, see that place up there? That's like the largest collection of straight people in North America. And everybody laughs, ha, 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 ha. And I'm thinking, dude, I live there. I go to school there. You know, and the only thing good that came out of that was the fact that I met Karen. And... Uh, we left after our first year, and I mean, I had a real bitter attitude towards God. I remember I would go into the lunchroom, and I don't know what I expected from pastors, but I expected manly men to be pastors. You know, I expected John Wayne or Rambo or something like that to be the kind of guys that God would call. And, and I remember I'd go into the cafeteria, and I'd look at all these people, and I had just disdain for them. And, and, I, and I, remember, I remember saying this to the Lord. I'm so surprised it didn't strike me dead. I told him, I said, God, is this... If this is the best you got, it really doesn't say much about you, does it? And um, make a long story short, Karen and I went home and I dragged her down into the sin that was involved in my life. And 
we got married and we still went to church because that was the proper thing to do. She, of course, would have a paid position at the church. It was a money thing for me. So she was the church organist and I would, you know, go and, and sometimes they would ask me to teach the, the youth. Some pastor that had no discernment would ask me to teach the youth. And so I was the youth teacher and all that kind of stuff. And it just, it was just, it was just a crazy, crazy time. I was just looking. I don't know what I was looking for, but I never found it anywhere. I just never. One, um, one summer in this church we were going to, uh, what they did back then is they got all the youth together and went to something that was called Super Wow at Jekyll Island, Georgia. And it was uh, kind of a big convention where a lot of church groups would come and they would have some paid speaker. And the speaker they had that year was a man named Cliff Connectly, who's pastor in a church up in uh, Massachusetts. And he was a he was a apologetic kind of guy and would ask questions and, you know, answer people's questions. He was he was really engaging. And then they have some some kind of rock and roll um kind of a rock and roll band there, kind of like they do now to you know get all the kids kind of interested. Well, this year. All they had was these people. This is Mike and Vaughn Rogers. And they were country as cornbread. And, uh, you know, he, he, had a, he had a pretty cool testimony. He uh, was actually saved. Uh, he was part of a motorcycle gang, and he was saved. And he used to sell drugs to kids, like in middle schools and stuff of that nature, outside the middle schools. And he got saved and married his wife, Vaughn. And, and they got together, and they just sang some songs. And, I don't know. There was something compelling about them. And so I went up to him afterwards. They had the little albums that were there. I went up af- afterwards and I said, uh, hey, how much are your albums? I think they were eight bucks or something each. And so I said, well, again, they had only three albums. They're, you know, there were self-published, self-produced albums, just them singing, you know, their songs. And, and I bought those albums and I came home at the end of the summer and I just slid them between my pyromania and thriller. Or I don't even know what else was on. I just slid them in the turntable, never to really look at them again. And life just rocked on. About um, about November of that year, I don't know why, I was just, I was hungry for something. I just, I was tired of living this hypocritical life. I pulled out one of their albums and I said, man, I wonder what this junk sounds like. And so I put it on the turntable and I put the needle down. That's how we did it back then, okay? Put the needle down and I started listening to Mike and Von Rogers sing. And for the first time in my life, I heard passion. I heard the gospel. I heard a longing. I, I heard something that could possibly satisfy this longing I had in my soul. What I wanted more than anything was, was to, to, to love something, to be loved by something, to commit my life to something. And, and the song that that really opened up my heart to actually receive the gospel was a simple song that they sang about Peter. I played this for you a couple of years ago, and it was, um, I mean, it's, it's just, I mean, I knew all about Peter. I'd been in church my entire life, and, and it was just looking at Peter and the decisions he had to make and whether or not the life with Christ was better than the life without Christ. And so... I'm just going to play that song for you and see if maybe it doesn't move you the way it did me.
do you think it'll last? Cause I think about the way things might happen If you'd remain at sea You'd still be a fisherman Peter You're such a fool
such a fool. Now, I don't know what it was. All of a sudden, my heart softened, and it wasn't but a couple weeks later, I was in my den, and I, Karen was upstairs, Krista was born, and I told the Lord, I said, look, I can't take this anymore. I mean, you're the real, you're not real. And I got to know now. I mean, you have to reveal yourself to me. You have to come into my heart, because I'd asked him like 200 times, or I'm done, I, I quit, I, I just, I can't handle this anymore. And I know I've shared my testimony with you before, that you uh, told me to open up the book of John and start reading, and by the time I got to John chapter 3, what was laid out in scripture was almost played out for me in my living room, and, and my life totally changed at that time, and I received him, not just as Savior, but I received him as Lord. And by the way, they're linked and, uh, and everything changed. I mean, uh, I told Karen about it, and I spent the next six months basically just apologizing to her for the things in our marriage that I had done. That I mean, I'd wake up in the morning, and I would say, Lord, is there anything standing between me and a deeper relationship with you? If there is, let me know, and I'll deal with it. And he'd reveal it to me, and I'd go, oh, gosh. But I wanted to do it more than anything, because I was learning to die to self, and that summer rolled around, the church we were attending had uh, got a praxis team to come in. And a praxis team is like Southern Baptist Mormon missionaries. They were students at seminary, and they came into a particular area, and their job was to hook up with some other families around there and maybe start a Bible study or maybe start a church. So our church had got these two guys to come in, and I don't know how I hooked up with them at the time. And so they're, I'm going with them, and they're... We're knocking on doors and we're, you know, inviting people to come. And, and they were, you know, they're pretty cool guys and got to know them that summer. When the summer was over, we'd started this small little Bible study. And they said, well, hey, we got to go. We need somebody to lead the Bible study. And, and I, well, we'll have to go back and ask the church. And they said, no, it's you. You need to do this. And so I started leading the Bible study. And pretty much it, uh, it kind of moved into actually starting a church and, God put a call on my life, and I remember the day that I realized that he put a call on my life, I went to work the next morning, and everything seemed meaningless, everything. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a CPA. Uh, my goal, of course, is to get my name on the door, McCraney, and I don't care who else, you know, on the door, and get the office by the window and all that kind of stuff, and, and I walked into my office, and I'm sitting there with all these piles of tax returns and audit forms, and I realized, what a waste of life. To spend all my life doing this. For what? It's just for money or prestige or to feel good in our culture. That's not what I want to spend my life doing. I want my life to count for something. And, and I remember when I went in to resign, I didn't know how to tell the junior partner, Jim Underwood, that God had called me into the ministry. Um, and uh, he, was, he was only about five years. He was, he was, if you could be gifted as a CPA, he was. He was only about five years older than I was. And so I told blurted out, I said, Jim, I, I, just, I just want to do something meaningful with my life. And it looked like I slapped him. He sat back and he goes, well, this is meaningful. And I thought, no, it's not. It's not. Jim Underwood's dad had just died. He was a managing partner with one of the big eight CPA firms, and he dropped over dead in the middle of tax season with a heart attack right on his desk. Bam. And it was kind of a Amazing thing. They hauled his body out, you know, and had the funeral three or four days later and all that kind of stuff. But the next day, they had somebody else sitting at his desk grinding it out. I mean, it's, it's what life is like. And I wanted, I wanted something. I wanted, 
I wanted, I wanted God to, to do something in my life. So this little church was started, and I didn't know anything about anything. I had no seminary training, and so Karen and I would sit on the sofa, and I, she'd have this notepad. Back then, if I could write out my first two paragraphs and read them verbatim, by that time, I felt good enough I could kind of take it from there. Know what I mean? And in the very beginning, do you remember that? So I'd be looking at the word, and she'd be sitting next to me. I'd be going, "Why this is this is? Did you know this? This is incredible!" And it was just God's word was just alive to me. And and so I would, she would write out for me my first two paragraphs, and and I would preach. And most of the times I got it right. Some of the times I got it wrong. And and I needed a I needed a teacher. I needed somebody that could. That could help me. And, and whenever the student is in need of a teacher, the Lord always sends the teacher. And for me, it was this lady right here, Naomi Hunky. And, and I was pastoring a church, and it was really struggling, and, and Satan was just pounding me. And I decided that you know, it wasn't worth it anymore, and, and maybe I, I don't want to be a pastor, I don't want to be a Christian. And I found myself drifting back to the old side. And, and I remember, even, even I've never even shared this publicly before, I've told you about the time Naomi Hunky knocked on my door at uh, 8 o'clock on a Saturday morning after reading the book of Isaiah, saying that God spoke to her about speaking to me. What I didn't tell you is that uh, I had really tied one on the night before at home. You know, when I used to drink, I drank alone. I mean, I wasn't a party. I just drank alone. I just didn't want to be sober. And, you know, I, I don't I remember what happened. I think Karen probably went upstairs, and I just stayed down and watched television to, because I remember when I opened the door, I turned around in our living room. The piano was there, and I want to make sure there were no beer cans sitting on the piano when I saw it was Naomi Hunky. Because I had had my dark night of the soul, and I had ended up losing. And I'll go back to the old life, because it just made me feel good just for a moment. It really didn't make me feel good. I just didn't feel the pressure of the discouragement I was going through trying to follow Christ. So, and I've screwed up too. And I remember, I remember looking around, and there was no beer cans there. And so then I opened the door, and Naomi came in. And I remember sitting quite a, a distance from her. She was on one sofa, and I was on the other. And I kept my distance from her because I didn't want her to smell the alcohol that was on my breath. And if she did, she never said anything about it. And she discipled me. And she, she changed. I mean, just her love and her grace. And, and I committed myself to Christ. And I decided it was time to go to seminary. And so... Uh, uh, Karen and I packed up, had three kids at a time. We packed up and went on the seminary. And, you know, we owned a home, and she worked at a law firm, and I worked at a uh, CPA office. And now I'm supporting myself in seminary by being a dairy clerk at um, Harris Teeter at night. And so um, we went, I was there for about a year, and there was a hunger inside of me. It's just that this isn't enough. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting what I need. And, and so, um, a friend of mine named Chris and I decided that we were going to go on a self-imposed mission trip. So we sold every possession that we owned. I mean, literally everything we owned. Um, sold except the kids' clothing and I think your piano. The only thing that we held on to. We bought a travel trailer, uh, pulled our money together. We had a camper, a travel 32-foot pull camper in a, a van. And we went down to Wilmington, North Carolina. We started at the beach, these two white guys with these shorts on and these white shirts that said Roman Road Ministries and I had a headband and he had a hat and had these white socks pulled up to here and we were going to walk west and we were going to walk and made a commitment that we weren't going to we weren't going to stop 
until any person we met, we weren't going to leave until we shared Christ with them. If we walked three miles that day, that'd be great. If we walked 20 miles, that'd be great. It didn't matter. Our families would stay in these um, um, state park kind of campgrounds, and we would just begin at Wilmington and start walking. And, and it lasted about four and a half months before we got to south of Charlotte. And it was incredible. I was telling Karen this week as I was remembering about it. I remember, and I've shared some of the stories with you, but I remember in some South Carolina town about 9.30 in the morning, we, and it was, a, it was a really, it was a section of town that you wouldn't even drive through now. But I remember we're walking around and there was this old beat up bar. And the doors were open and it looked like a bomb had went off because there were bodies just laying on the, on the, the stoop of the bar. And they were just guys that were just drunk. They'd passed out drunk. And so Chris and I, my lily white shirt, said, hey, let's go tell them about Jesus. And so we walked in the bar. And I remember walking in the bar. There's a guy asleep on a pool table. Another guy still at the bar. We shared Christ with them. And, you know, we left. And now if somebody was telling me about that situation or if my kids wanted to do that, I would say, what, are you out of your mind? That's not safe. Well, what happened to me? I remembered the reckless abandon that I had. Now, am I more wise or am I not remembering how powerful God is? Story after story after story happened on, a, happened on that walk. And when we finished, we're, at, uh, we're actually here in Gastonia where Chris's parents lived and I had $350 to our name and an $800 car that almost didn't make it over the mountains heading to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, where my dad was. And we uh, moved in with him for a couple months, and I got a job, and we finally uh, got this little duplex to live, and we're just going to start life all over again in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. And I, I viewed the strip at Pigeon Forge as kind of a, this is my ministry. I don't have a church, but this is what God has called me to do. And I'm, I'm just going to, every person I see, I want to tell about Jesus. Well, this is a picture of... This picture of Karen and I taken about 30 years ago on the way to Dixie Stampede. Somebody had given us free tickets and we're standing there taking a picture of this lady who's probably really old now. Um, and I don't, the thin guy in the white shirt with the brown, the blackish hair, do you notice in his shirt pocket that little black thing that's hanging out? Those are tracks. I always carry tracks with me because wherever I was, I wanted to have a track with me to be able to pull out and, and share Christ with somebody else. Now, when is the last time I carried a track? When is the last time? I was praying with Jim this week, and I even shared this with the guys on Thursday. You know, what's, what's our prayer request for you, Steve? What can, we, what can we pray for you about? And there was a time when I was absolutely sold out to the Lord Jesus Christ, absolutely sold out with, with reckless abandon. I had nothing. So if I lost everything, it was no big deal. Know what I mean? Now I'm older, like you're older, and I have a lot. And so if I lose everything, it's a huge deal. And so therefore, I'm not willing to risk because I love this life and maybe this world more than I really love him. I mean, what happened to that guy that that just wanted to do nothing but share Christ. I remember when we were in LaGrange, Georgia. Um, again, I, I can't really describe. Haley and I went back to it about five years ago and where the church was, and it's not even there anymore. It's, the church moved out, and it's, 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 it's really like a war zone, like a ghetto. And, and we lived there, and I remember, um, um, I remember when I was there, 
I had gone out and met some of the guys in the neighborhood. They were, you know, a bunch of gangbangers and stuff of that nature, invited them to come to church. And the church was filled with pretty much older people who'd been there their whole life. And there was, it, was, it was a difficult kind of mix. But this guy named Chris Settle, who was uh, the pastor um, that, uh, in Pigeon Forge, one of his sons, many would just, he was all about Jesus, and I would go visiting with him, and he'd knock on people's doors and tell them about Christ. And I just felt uncomfortable with that. And, and did you learn that in school or what? He went over to the Marshall Islands for six or seven years as a missionary, and he just showed up one day and called me and said, hey, I'm passing through on the way from Florida. Can I just, uh, can I just sleep on your sofa that night? Yeah, Chris, you come on by, and, and that'd be great. And, and so he got there about 5 o'clock that afternoon. It was a Wednesday. We're having a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And so we got there about five o'clock that afternoon and, and I said, well, you know, we got to have something to eat and we got church in about an hour. He goes, well, what can I do for you? What do you mean? What can you do for me? I mean, who can I go share Christ with? I don't know, Chris, just knock yourself out. You know, I'm going to prepare because I've got to teach a Bible study to a bunch of people who really don't want to be there anyway. Um, so Chris just took off and, and I don't know where he went. And so I'm in the middle of, uh, I'm in the middle of the Wednesday night prayer service. Do you remember a Wednesday night prayer service in the Southern Baptist church? You know, going through that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, about 7.30, the door opens up, and here Chris comes in with a couple gangbangers with him. And uh, went out there, and in his Mormon-looking outfit, went out there and told him about the love of Christ, brought him to church on a Wednesday night. They got saved. It, it kind of began a whole genesis in our youth group. And the next morning, Chris took off, and I said, God, what, what was that? I mean, is that a learned behavior? I mean, is that something that they taught him to do, like a salesman, like a, like a vacuum cleaner salesman that goes door to door? Or, I mean, does he do it out of guilt? Or, I mean, is it just his personality? Is that is he just like gifted that way and other people are? What is that to be that way? Well, it's just a deep-seated passion and love for me. That his life means nothing more than just to know about, let other people know about me. God, I want that. And I want that. i I've had glimpses of that. I've tasted of that, but, but I want that. We were in Pigeon Forge, and I was reading all about George Mueller, and I wanted to live this life of faith. And, and so we began a crisis pregnancy center. You know all the story about that. And God funded it, and Stefan was the first baby that was actually saved through that. I mean, it was, it was incredible times. God, I remember all of that. I remember how gracious you are and how loving you are and and I remember that I wanted nothing but you. And then all of a sudden I got, I got older and, and it, it became more about church and it became more about teaching the flock and it became more about doing good things rather than maybe not doing the best thing. And I remember a classic line, I'm almost finished. I remember a classic line from Rocky III. It's when Sylvester Stallone fights Clubber Lang, Mr. T. Do you remember? And he wanted to do it, and Mickey, his manager, didn't. And Mickey said to Rocky, he says, says, the worst thing happened to you can happen to any fighter. Remember Mickey? What's that? You become civilized. Clubber Lang is not civilized, but you have. And the worst thing can happen to a pastor or a believer in Christ is become civilized to become a cultural Christian. Hey, this is what is expected of me. Everybody, I don't want to rock the boat. I just want to rock on with my life. I want to get my big house and my car and my retirement and just do all the things our society says rather than just remember what it was like 
when you were on fire for Christ. Now I'm going to stop here, but do you remember? You remember? Sometimes remembering helps you get through dark times. You know, I love my brother. I mean, I love him with a passion. And uh, I want to help him everywhere I can. And so my brother is like my father. He, you know, has no motivation to do anything. And he's kind of floundering. And, and so he had this little business. And so I told him I'd go into business with him to help him out and help him become successful. And in the process of that, my brother got me involved in a $975,000 lawsuit. Um, where I probably could have lost everyone, see an attorney, how can I keep my wife not from losing the house to all this? I mean, it was an absolute disaster. And it was just my brother, me and my brother. He didn't do anything maliciously. He would never do anything to hurt anybody. It's just my brother being my brother. And I got angry. I mean, I got angry at him. Golly, man, every time I try to help you, this kind of stuff happens because, you know, even though God is sovereign, I forget about that. And I had a couple of sleepless nights thinking that I was going to get saddled with the lawsuit. It was going to literally destroy my life and take everything that I had. And, and so it was like the Lord said, I want you to remember. Oh, what do you want me to remember? I want you to remember this kid. This is my freshman year of college. I just came home for Christmas. My brother had all life and all potential in front of him. He was just a hurting kid that, I, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but his source of security and his source of of stability had left, which was me. And I didn't care about him. I was out making my own way. And he was stu stuck there at the house in a very dysfunctional family. And, and I pulled out this picture and I looked at it. And I said, I can't get mad at this kid. I mean, this is just a, this is just a young boy who's had his life kicked around, who's, who's tried to do things his own way, who's suffering the consequences of his own sin. And when I remember him like this, all of a sudden, all the anger and pain went away, and it's absolutely filled with just compassion and love and grace and mercy. Know what I mean? Sometimes we can do that. Sometimes you just remember who these people are. And when my mom died, I went through her, I went through her yearbooks, and in her yearbooks she would have written, you know, Mrs. Dolores McCraney, Mrs. Dolores McCraney, and you know she would. They're like a young girl, which is what she was. Oh, I'm going to marry this man and see how my name looks with his name. And, and because of that one act, her life was just full of pain and suffering. And I remember, gosh, you know what? She wasn't always like this. She, she was a young girl with hopes and dreams and aspirations that the world just kicked around something fierce. And, like we are. But God... God wants us to remember. I want you to go home. And I want you to just remember how good he's been to you, how gracious he's been to you, how loving he's been to you. And if you'll do and you'll spend some time just with him, all your fears and insecurities and disappointments, even with him, can just they'll just evaporate. And you'll find yourself just praising him for what he's done in the past, which is really easy then to praise him for what he's doing now and to hold on to his sovereignty and to praise him for what he may or may not do in the future. True? I want to close by sharing just a couple short verses with you. Shortest verses in the Bible. Jesus wept. We got that one, John eleven twenty five. There's another two-word verse. It's a little bit longer than this one, English letter-wise, and that's called Rejoice Always. 
which is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. The very next verse is only three words, which is pray without ceasing, which is 1 Thessalonians 5.17. And then I remember this one. Remember Lot's wife. Remember? The Lord tells us, remember Lot's wife. Now, what happened to her? Well, it's really simple. God decided to deliver them from the sin that they committed. If you'll study Lot, he chooses the wrong area. You know, then he has his tent near Sodom. Then he's at the gate of Sodom. Then he's in Sodom. And now he's a leader in Sodom. He kind of got sucked into the, the culture that was there. God sends two angels down to rescue him and his family. He's making excuses the whole time. You know, what about this or what about that and all that kind of stuff? No, we have to leave. We have to leave now. Bring your family and those people that are with you. And, and his witness was so compromised that even his son-in-laws wanted nothing to do with it, and his two daughters turned out to be really reprobate women, if you'll continue reading the rest of the story with incense and incest and all that kind of stuff. And so they're commanded not to look back, they're commanded to leave, and as they're heading, Lot's wife decides she wants to look back at how good that life was. And she turns back towards Sodom and Gomorrah and is turned into a pillar of salt. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Remember, remember any man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of service in the kingdom of God. Remember my goodness, remember my grace, remember my love and my salvation and how I, I bore you up on eagle's wings and how you complained to me all the time and yet I still loved you and how I've always been there for you, how I've encouraged you and strengthened you. I've never failed you. You've never missed a meal. You've never been homeless. You've I've stuck with you closer than a brother. Remember what I've done for you and remember what the world promises. Remember what a life devoted to that is all about. Remember that the fellowship with the world is hatred towards me. Remember Lot's wife. Remember that, Steve. And so God's, God's beginning revival in my heart to not be the Steve I used to be, but to be the Steve that he wants me to be, to be about the things of his kingdom, to be about the things that truly matter. Not that this doesn't, but this can't be an end in itself. For us to come and learn more about Christ and not make disciples is to violate the very reason he left us behind. He left us here to make disciples of all nations. Do you remember? And he said he would be with us until the end of the age. And so I want to encourage you to begin maybe some deep-seated reflection and worship by going home and just remembering. Amen? Let me pray.